Welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Cushion. Yes, you are. You got it right. <laughs> Here we are in the middle of a, a, the second or third heat wave of the summer. It's very hot. Yeah. It's, it's very hot. I, not pleasant. Well, let's just jump straight into it then, because sure. we'll keep this tight, because we have to turn the air conditioning off in your apartment between tapings, starting and taping finishing. You know, I mean, you know how could... furious the audience gets about white noise. Oh, yeah. They, what, what people come to Probably Science for is audio quality, first and foremost. Hey, so, we've got a guest. We do. We do. Comedian, writer, someone who collaborated with you on a wrote with you on a show of yeah on Trivial Takedown on Fuse last summer. Whose host is now hosting HQ? Do you play HQ mm, trivia? No, I Matt, don't. Matt Richards uh, is is like trading off hosting duties with Scott Rogowski. On yeah. HQ. Anyway, that's the voice yes, of the, the very funny Lisa Curry. <laughs> hey, what's up? Hey, Lisa. Uh, have you tried watching that show, by the way, Andy? Oh, no, you can't say things like that on this show. <laughs> oh, we can't say that out loud? I mean, no, you can't. Can yeah. I say it's unwatchable? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say that. You said it. I think it's I think it's a fun show. I only tried I to watch one episode. Fun. Um, and the people have fun, and it's fun to watch. Sure. That's, you're so nice, Andy. <laughs> we had fun I don't know why people say terrible it. things about it's you. It's fun yeah. to watch. No, it was fun. It was, it was a fun room. It was, it was a fun first that was a good experience. Yeah, with Brian Cook and Riley Newton. Yeah. Everybody who's been... Um, Riley's been on the show, hasn't she? She has. Yeah. Back in the years. day. She yep. did it back in the old Bluebell days. Yep. Oh, man. I could use that free air conditioning right now. We didn't pay any utilities at that house. It was all included. That's right. The, and the hot, it was central air as well. Oh, yeah. And we would just leave doors open. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> oh, you and, Actually, you and Riley lived together? No, sorry. Oh. Um, uh, Jesse Case and I lived there. For Remember the old house? You uh, must have been to. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That house. house. In fact, I know for a fact you've been there. I've been to pool parties yeah. there with you. Oh, I missed that house. Yeah. I forgot. That was actually, so great. One of the, one of the dumbasses, uh, Brandon, one of the two old guys who lived there, he had a dog and he was lazy. He never walked the dog. He thought mm-hmm. that a dog could be fine as long as you let it just walk around the backyard. Excuse me? Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> it's animal abuse. So Jesse would just, t- Jesse would steal the dog and take him to the vet because Brendan never would. And that Jesse would walk so in sad. sometimes. But he, so he would just leave the door open, a crack, the sliding glass door to the kitchen so this German Shepherd mix could come and go. So that's like a pretty wide crack. So we were just cooling off Valley Village for five years on the landlord's money. Yeah, whatever. Money. And it's like, I wasn't the one doing it. So I was like, I don't, I don't care if you want to leave the door open. Fine. <laughs> I'm sure the bill must have been hundreds a month for the DC. It wasn't a small house. No. Doesn't, uh, and you had the pool. Which is, oh yeah, the pool maintenance guy. You're in a, sure. it, environmental it, it, nightmare in it. What did they? They sold the house, right? That's what happened. They did finally sell it. It was the, it was a brother and sister who inherited it from their parents. I think they were just happy to like. Neither of them lived in town, so they just wanted like a low hassle thing that covers their mortgage in a little bit. So we sure. had I, I we had it so good. Like I paid less than a thousand a month. That's insane. Yeah, I mean it was true. It wasn't. Like it was a, a huge yard. It was just a bedroom and a house, but still. Um, but you had a big pool. Oh, yeah. They, they tore it down the back house. I drove by, and uh, I think they had to keep the... This is not interesting to listeners, but they're building like a mansion where the pool house was, basically, the new owners. Of oh. course they are, because yeah. it's a very expensive bit of yeah. town. And yeah. It's the one shitty house in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. The only house that had renters, the only non-Orthodox Jewish house. Like, they ha- the whole neighborhood really? hated us. Okay. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't even make eye contact with us. They hated us so much. Yeah. Oh, hey, Lisa. That sounds lovely. <laughs> We like to ask our guests this before we get deep into Uh-oh. the science stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And that's... I, <laughs> I got way too excited. So. All right. I'm not even going to apologize for this in any way. I'm going to let you answer that question um, however you choose. I didn't, uh, 
I don't have any background in science, uh-huh. but when I was in sixth grade, All I right. was on the science Olympiad team. Okay. Oh, I did that too. Really? In, I would have been third grade, I think. Yeah. So hang on. Okay. I, well, just, fuck I always you, have Andy. to do the. Oh, and I took a science class at Purdue when I was like in second grade because I took classes there in between, like in the summer. Um, okay. Hang on. So let's. I'm just going to have to translate. So sixth grade, you're about 11 years old. Yeah. 12. So what was the Olympiad? What does that involve? It it was just like doing uh, weights and measurements and things like that. And we had to, we went and competed with other schools where you would like, um, I don't know, fucking measure things and weigh things and guess, (laughs) guess ratios. And like, we had to make a little boat out of clay and put blocks in it. I don't really remember. That's just not the sharpest. My, my sharpest memories aren't from when I was 12. <laughs> yeah, and mine from third, from when I was nine are not either. I'm Googling it right now to see if any of this rings a bell of what Science Olympiad consisted of. And, and then when you You're say- the first person, Andy, that I know of that knows what the fuck Science Olympiad is. Everyone else has been like, what are you talking about? I'm not you totally sure. Absolute nerd. Well, I we remember there being, the being a... Thing, I remember but, there um, being a Maths Olympiad, but I remember in England, but that was much older than 12 year olds and the questions were substantially harder than you just described like they were and I think there was a chemistry one as well that my friend went to hmm. but they were like hard they were like university level questions sure yeah oh no no I'm sorry I was confusing this with something else I didn't do science Olympiad. what did oh, you okay. do Andy I did Olympics of the Mo- uh, in the year I was doing it I think they had to change the name from Olympics of the Mind to Odyssey of the Mind because the actual Olympics, the Olympic committee yeah yeah um, you know that happened to Improv Olympic too they got what? sued that's why they the, call themselves I.O. West yeah that's the oh Improv God. Theater got sued by the Olympics just in case like, like anyone's you... thinking this is an officially Olympic game sanctioned <laughs> improv troupe as if Olympic isn't no one gives isn't a shit an adjective that can't be owned Right? I mean, yeah. like, if something is from the Olympic Peninsula, you can't call it Olympic. If it's from Mount Olympus, can you call it Olympic? Yeah. Like, it's an First of all, my, yeah, my Instagram is Olympian Lisa Curry because there's an <laughs> Olympic gold medalist named Lisa Curry <laughs> and she took Lisa Curry, so I took Olympian. So fucking. <laughs> I never knew why that was. Come for me, Olympics. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and she's like my height. She's blonde. She has blue eyes. So do you find like, yourself every. What, what's her. Hang on. What is her sport what does she compete in swimming which just... which i did for a long time which is it's really funny what, what stroke <laughs> it's really what funny to let's me get, let's um, get into it do we get i don't know but she's from australia she's hugely famous in australia so what get... did you do when you swam i mean i just fucking splashed around oh, man okay. i don't know I, I didn't have like a specialty i was on the swim team for a little while and then i quit because everyone was a bunch of cunts oh <laughs> my whole team go. was a oh they were so rotten so I was Let's like, see. cool, I'll not get up at five in the morning anymore. Fine by me. Your other... Okay, well, here's why she didn't... Well, no, I guess she got... Why would you go for Olympian Lisa Curry if you could get Lisa Curry? But um, she's a little older. She's 56. Maybe yeah. that's why she's not as internet savvy. Hang on. Lisa um, Curry comedian well, is also competing yeah. before Lisa Curry swimmer. Yeah, it's really... It's frustrating because there's a thousand Lisa Currys, so... But you, you're currently the top hit on my Google. Oh, but that, good. But oh, that well, might also be because Google... Comic, yeah, it might so. be Google kind of knows that I'm in... Mm-hmm. With its scary Your metadata. computer knows that I'm sitting here. <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah, maybe. Um, so she's 56. She's yeah, from I'm not Brisbane. Seeing her, I think she was just at Commonwealth and like World Championship games. I don't know if she was actually at in the Olympics. She was. She's an Olympic gold medalist, Andy. Quit trying to take her medals away. She also has a super fucking hot son. If you want to look that up. <laughs> interest in that <laughs> why doesn't her wikipedia list her times and medals for the olympics 
She definitely had success know. in the Commonwealth Games. She's got three Commonwealth medals. Yeah. Three golds. And then the Wikipedia thing just says she also competed at, in the 80, 84, and 92 Olympics. It's like, well, hmm. tell us what happened. What, uh, How did she do? Yeah. And she's Australian. Yeah, so. did she pull Greg Louganis? We need to know. Oh, man, I remember watching that live. That's how old I am. Oh, I'm terrified of hitting my head on the side of the pool now. I, like, I, that's all I... I I can't watch people jump into pools because I saw that. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to actually barf. <laughs> I think I was doing... I did dive team for a summer, and it was around then, and I was like, I'm never doing... Did it scare uh, the shit out of you after that? Uh, uh, what do you call it again? Um, any kind of... Like inverse tuckle inverse, inverse is when yeah. you start facing backwards and then you go forward. Yeah, and I never mm. even tried any reverses like gainers. I would never so, try that. Yeah, so and I, like is, I grew up on son? a lake. Yeah, that's her son, but he, he looks like shit there. <laughs> <laughs> like I grew up on a lake. I grew up jumping off of a pier all the time. I swam. I was a lifeguard. But even so, in like in the back of my head, I always had like right. I was like, I'm gonna get, smack my head and, and die. He's very is Australian. He looks like a Home and Away Australian. cast member. I don't know Home and Away. It's just one of the it's two soap there. operas in Australia it's that has spawned every actor. <laughs> Every Australian actor who's over here, we've talked about this on the show before, has been through either Home and Away on Neighbours yeah. at some point. Both Hemsworths, That's Eric funny. Bana, and okay, because we had um, 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 Charlie Clausen on, right? Yes, who That's was in? Right. I can't. Was he? Ho- he was Home and Away, I think. Mm-hmm. I think um, Kylie Minogue and, and Ali Ambrulia were neighbours. So how how authentic was imp- Olympics of the mind, Andy? Like, did you compete in an arena? Were you naked? Yeah, yeah. We- <laughs> We had to wrestle each other. It was like out. weird trust falls. Um, really had yeah. nothing to do with science. It's very handsy. James Gunn officiated. Um, sorry, it's too too timely. Um, no, actually, I remember it was something to do with with um, Moby Dick. Like it wasn't even science. It was it was like creative. It was writing. It was like writing an alternate ending to Moby Dick. Oh, so you just made up had... entirely that you were in some kind of science camp. Okay. No, I just remembered it had. A, I, remember, I remembered it was Olympics, and then it was changed to something that was close to Olympics. So I assumed it was Olympia. Sure. But uh-huh. It was Odyssey of the Mind, which yeah, if you look up Odyssey of the Mind, it has a Wikipedia page, and it's it seems like it's um, not very STEM focused and more. Uh, I can't even find examples of what sorts of things they do. Long-term problems. There are five categories of problems participants participants can solve. Vehicle involves building vehicles. Okay, this is kind of sciencey. Um, technical involves innovative contraptions. Okay, for some reason we just had one that was like theater adjacent and not very sciencey. But you know, I was in third grade. I, did, I was like, I'll just do whatever adults tell me to do. I don't know. I didn't stand up for myself back then. Um, do you know? Do I know? Do you now? Do I know? Uh, no. Stand up for yourself? Okay, I good. listen to what any adult tells me. If you are an adult and you tell me to do something, I am uh, honor bound to That's obey. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever listened to people. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, so I was going to say, we were talking about the heat wave. Um, remember a few years back when everyone was all worried about uh, the drought and about our reservoirs drying up? Mm-hmm. Do you remember... Do, do the words shade balls ring a bell to you? Not at all. Shade they balls. They totally do to me. This that is that a story a that Christine story Williams sent in. So yeah, back in 2015, we tried to 
cap the a bunch of reservoirs or just the LA reservoir, I guess. Well, Silver Lake Silver Lake Reservoir, which is near to us, that's not used for drinking water, though. I think. I right? think it was at one point. It or, was historic. Yeah, but but I don't it, think. and then they drained it because they were doing a whole load of renovations and then they refilled it. But now, yeah, I was driving past it one day and suddenly it was covered in these polystyrene balls, these white polystyrene balls that were floating on top of the surface. Mm. And the reason for it is that they reflect a lot of the light from the sun and therefore the heat. They did, so, Silver Lake did that? I thought it was just the LA Reservoir. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Silver Lake. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. I definitely drove past one and I thought it was Silver Lake. Anyway, um, the, idea of, uh, the idea is that it reflects the sunlight, so it prevents, it slows down the rate of evaporation because the, the sunlight hits the water, heats it up, and it evaporates quickly. Right. So you put these things that float on top and then they get hit by the sun instead. So they act as covers... Firstly, they act as like just a basic cover to stop the water from evaporating, and secondly, they act as a bit of a heat uh, reflector too. Sure. So it's to save water and stop it from evaporating, thus preventing the loss of water. Was it effective, or how effective was it? Well, according say? to this story, mm-hmm. not that effective because to actually make the shade balls in the first place takes more water than they save. Oh, yeah. How did my God? Of that? course, yeah. of course. <laughs> so. The idea well, is- also, like, what is the, the surface area, if it's a sphere, the surface area of the ball that's actually touching the water, for, so covering each, like, the water. Tennis ball sized. Like because they're... it's like it's going to reflect a certain amount, but, like, but they could, the, but... just the air and the heat is going to make the water evaporate, not... What? They cover the whole surface yeah, they with cover the entire... thousands and thousands of these balls. But, uh, oh, I'm imagining was... like a few anchored oh, out. No, 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 no. It, no, no. It's acting like basically like a cover. million of them. So yeah. the idea is that it, it, can, it keeps contaminants out of the water as well and reduces the evaporation of the reservoir by 85 to 90% during a drought. So according to the LA Department of Water and Power, the annual savings could amount to up to 300 million gallons of water. Well, that's great. Except, according to this, uh, si- this team who now did a study... Was it Haggigi's team? Uh, estimated that manufacturing 96 million shade balls required between 66 and 766 million gallons of water. Oh, my God. This sounds like something Steve Martin's character would have invented in The Jerk. <laughs> like, along with the glasses holder. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's this a, is right up there. It says, therefore, to even break even on water loss, the shade balls must sit on the LA Reservoir for between one and two and a half years. <laughs> The team cautioned that water savings from the shade balls will likely be less than 300 million gallons during years when there is no drought. That's because evaporation of the water decreases when the air isn't as dry. The actual period of time needed to recover water from shade ball manufacturing might be even longer. Uh, the LA Department of Water Power said they plan to keep shade balls as a permanent solution to water quality issues on in Los Angeles, replacing them every 10 years. So you know what? Like uh, The LA officials also deploy shade balls at three other reservoirs, uh, in the, between 2008 and 2012, where they stay temporarily for five to nine years. So I guess, you know what, they if they're reused and repurposed and move from sh- reservoir to reservoir, they will eventually recoup their water cost in manufacturing oh, them and sure. their energy costs. Yeah. Um, I feel like if there's all this bullshit sitting on top of the water too, doesn't that trap more dirt and crap? Yeah, I've never I quite feel understood like that how would... reservoirs aren't aren't so insanely susceptible to any kind of it like they wanted seems to cap like it the ones turn in Oregon, into sewage yeah or just be the easiest place for any kind of bioterrorism remember yeah. that ridiculous was, story it was it was in portland where some guy pissed in the water we yeah we talked about this on the show when it happened about which was about three years ago you can look back through the back issues and see if you can find it but 
some drunk guy peed in the reservoir and he, he got caught and they drained the reservoir. It's insane. Which it's is so dumb. Ludicrous. Yeah. Wait, they, First of all, the number of uh, animals that are yeah. peeing in it anyway. You're like, it's oh, like- but one guy pisses in it and it's permanently destroyed, but just every passing bird that shits in it from a great height. So that's fine. Right. That's when entire- I was living there, people wanted to actually cap the reservoirs and there was a big outcry. Like There were people... There were super vocal people on both sides because it, it's this really beautiful area of Portland, um, Mount Tabor. Have you been up there? Mm, I don't think so. So it looks like, you know, just like a lake. You'd want to picnic around and if they capped it, they wouldn't like that. But everyone's like, well, also, anybody could just like toss some, I don't know, whatever the most effective poison to destroy a city is. It, I mean, how much fucking poison would you have to unload I don't know, in there? That's a good point. But, you know, it's doable. It's doable right Because now. if Not you threw just like ideas. a gallon in there, it'd be, by the time yeah. it dissipated. Which is the story, which is the thing with the, the piss story as well. The fact that not <laughs> only is it ridiculous because the water goes through processing after it's sitting in the reservoir before it gets into the taps, but also... Yeah, like if your filtration w- system can't handle that. Exactly. Uh, I'm also, really scared. <laughs> but also what, just one guy's... Even if it was a very full bladder's worth, yeah. like, as a percentage of the ridiculous number of millions of gallons that make up that yeah. reservoir, it's nothing. For what? A pint? Yeah. Come on. That's, that's insane. Yeah. That's what is it like? Insane. What's the most you can make? Maybe a two pint piss? If you're really. <laughs> I bet you can go I over really two don't think I so. Think, you, you, you think think so? double pinter? Two I pints? think you probably could. I mean, if Jesse were here, he, he's probably a better person to tell a story like this. This is off brand for me. But I mean, have you ever tried to pee in a container on a long road trip of any kind and found you miss. I don't. You, uh, yeah, I'm trying to guess think what. Container size needed for. Burning Man a few years ago, I had like pissed in like a sort of. I, I got a an old washing detergent like laundry oh that seems like a detergent plenty, right? thing yeah, yeah that was but i didn't i never came close to filling that but that was like oh, okay uh but i mean a gatorade bottle but i was just trying to think of like what the like because that would have been like middle of the night most you could possibly piss yeah well i i remember a gatorade bottle giving me problems on a road trip because it wasn't quite enough i think that's more than or it's about two pints right uh Either way. yeah i think so point is would you divide out all that yeah. volume of this reservoir? So it's, whoever decided to drain the reservoir is a complete idiot. Oh, yeah. But then again, you know, everyone has to bow to what the public... I get how it's about perception also. Also, I, I'm sorry I was wrong, Matt. You're right. Silver Lake uh, is Silver Lake and Ivanhoe, which is the one... I guess it's two reservoirs that are connect, that are right next to each other there. The north one is called Ivanhoe. That one is still in use as... A drinking supply, and the big one isn't. Yeah. But they capped, I think they capped them both with balls. Well, apparently, the most effective strategy to save water in 2010 during that drought in LA was to tell people to not water their lawns. That was substantially more effective than any of the other interventions. Well, yeah, and then there was somebody caught in, um, I want to say Brentwood, that was using like tens of thousands of gallons of water a day, and they were just basically like, well, fuck you, I'm rich. And I don't give a shit, and the rules don't apply to me. And they like had this really lush lawn. There were, I remember that was a t- there was a big uh, which big water, surprise. There was a big water shaming thing for a bunch of people. Yeah, like that was the thing was to call out people, rich people online for their water consumption back in the right. heaviest drought years. Yeah, and there was just one house that they found, but they couldn't work out exactly where it was. But they're like somewhere in this area, someone is oh, using. Didn't know who it was. I thought they knew who it was. Or maybe they did, but they did weren't allowed to announce it. But then people from the local newspapers were trying to deduce it from aerial right, yeah. photographs and the like it's all kato kalen <laughs> it is <laughs> he was uh he was an answer in the 
the uh, LA Times crossword puzzle today. Oh, nice. I was like, ooh, <laughs> someone's stuck in another time. What was the clue? Sexy, I don't remember. Sexy, it was something, but it man. gave his first name. It was like something or another involved in some, such or another thing. Cato. And I was like, obviously, is there, I'm sorry, is there more than one oh, famous they wanted, Cato? They, they wanted the last name, not the first name? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. I would have thought Cato, the four let, that, that's such a. I mean, either way. But I would think, like, when you're writing a crossword, like, you know, those short, non-word words are useful to fill in. Yeah. I would think it'd be Cato, not Kalen. That's Right. One other Cato I can think of is... Um, What's he up to now? I don't know. Isn't that the name of um, Green Hornet's uh, sidekick? Isn't that Cato? Cato Kalen. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I think, yeah, it was. It was Cato Kalen is the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Green Hornet sidekick, specifically. I remember that. Yeah, Kato is a green. He's the uh, like martial arts. Uh, what's his What's his power? Oh yeah, he's, he's played by Bruce Lee. That's Kato on the um, Green Hornet TV TV series back in the late sixties. Yeah. Oh my God! Well, this is go. so. This is so peak sixties uh, superhero. <laughs> That's so great. Sorry for everyone who who's listening and can't see this oh, photo. Go to, go to com or <laughs> click on the show notes and I'll link to this picture. Of, All right, uh, I'll make a Bruce note Lee to remember to link to that picture. So funny. Or if, unless you want to put it in there. Sure, I'll put it up top. Kato so picture. Kato pick. Hey, you know you know what else is recently resurfaced slash surfaced for the first time? A what new species that? of venomous snake. According to this story good. that Linda Moulton sent in. Thanks, Linda. A new f- species of venomous snake has been discovered. Do you want to guess where? Australia. Yeah, of course. course. Uh, obviously. Of course it was in Australia. New species of venomous snake has been discovered in Queensland Why does specifically. anyone live there? Like, get oh, out of that place. Oh, no, that's a lot of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they know. It's like just deadly shit. I mean, I haven't been to Australia, and I'm sure it's a lot of fun, but like... It's a very nice country, but they do pride themselves scary. on how much deadly shit there is. Sharks, scary. The spiders that are there, I can't fuck with. I can't. I can hardly yeah. live here. Then again, uh, that wasn't where that Instagram model got bitten by a, sh- a shark recently. Did you see that? No. Just today. It's very satisfying. She wasn't Wait, hurt badly, where? <laughs> so it was in the Bahamas or Bermuda, one of the bee oh, okay, yeah. places. There's, there's a picture of her being bitten. It's like, oh, this is exactly <laughs> what you want to see happening to an influencer. Uh, sorry, Matt, you were saying. <laughs> you, know, you know, most of the time, though, those things are set up like it's a cross-promotion thing with a shark. <laughs> sorry, the shark is <laughs> Like it's pre-arranged. They know it's yeah. both those happening. Like there just happens to be photographed. For, for photographers nearby just happens right. to work out we get some yeah. good shark brand placement it is shark week I mean honestly it is shark that's week that's really good friend yeah. of the show Julian McCullough hosting um, maybe that is a cross has Julian done this show I feel like he should have he done he has he must have wait did you just say he's hosting shark week yeah he's hosting shark like their after dark the after, show yeah shark oh. after dark alright okay why are you mad <laughs> no I just I, I don't watch it because I don't have cable but I do like sharks I think they're yep. cool uh, so the newest Snakes. member of the this is such an Australian name as well the Bandy Bandy Snake family mm. just called Bandy Bandy as the family named uh, Vermicella Parasquada has been found at Waper on Cape York Peninsula near Rio Tinto's bauxite mining operations that is a very Australian paragraph right there there's a lot of Aussie going on in that few words the university university of queensland biologist brian fry found the snake on a loading wharf with the discovery detailed in a new paper published in the international journal zootaxa the new snake species is about 30 to 40 centimeters long okay so that's about a foot wait a minute that's if you find if you if you're the person to discover a new 
animal. You, you can't just name it for yourself. I who's, don't know. who's naming this shit? If yeah. I found a new snake, I'd be like, that's a Lisa Curry snake. We're Comedi- done. Is that, <laughs> yeah, is that Olympian Lisa Curry? <laughs> is that the Lisa, Olympian Lisa Curry bandy bandy snake? It's the first animal with a hashtag in its name. <laughs> for some reason. They're like, why? <laughs> it's got emojis. What's she yeah. doing? Why do we let her name it? I'm trying to brand myself, guys. Who's <laughs> in charge of snake branding? Uh, so it's about a foot foot and a third long and features thin white bands and fatter black bands along its body just looking mm. at it we knew it was a new species immediately just because of how many bands it had said professor fry <laughs> so they instantly counted the bands and we're like oh yeah yeah new one uh, come on 36 no 37 it's a new species it was right next to the big it, ship or loader. maybe it's just a longer of the one <laughs> yeah, <that> yeah. <laughs> maybe the last one they found grew <laughs> maybe it's just uh maybe it's just two of the old ones next to each other <laughs> in a trench coat <laughs> It was right next to the big shiploader where they are loading all the rocks and soils they scooped up during the bauxite mining. Uh, other specimens were found during a subsequent search. They're living in the exact habitat that's being scooped up for bauxite mining, so it's endangered basically now. Only six specimens of the new species have been found. Professor Fry believes they may be only be living in the mining area, and that could mean trouble for the species. Bauxite mining is a major economic activity in the region, and it may be reshaping the environment to the detriment of native plants and animals. Well, I mean, here's what: here's the thing. If they only exist there in this in the mining area, and there's only six of them, it sounds like it's their fucking problem. Yeah, that'll teach you. Know? Why did you pick a box of all the places? Box bauxite. Um, I mean, also, you know, as much as I wish we could preserve this habitat, like I, I, I got, I got to have my box, my bauxite. You guys know me, my bauxite, right? I mean. <laughs> Uh, if the listeners might not be aware, I'm wearing a bauxite vest and uh, bauxite um, Is that caps. what that is? I yeah. did wonder. <laughs> a bauxite top hat. It did look unwieldy. <laughs> These new mics are made of box, bauxite? Bauxite? How do yeah. Americans say it? Do you want to guess what bauxite Because uh, I couldn't remember what it was an ore of. I can't remember now. Well, I'm going to say it my way. It's aluminium. Oh, okay. It's oh. the major source of aluminium. It is. Wait, as in like you derive aluminum? <laughs> I'm not yeah, say it's the like chief commercial. I mean, that's how you pronounce it in Spanish. It consists of largely hydrated alumina with variable pro- proportions of iron oxides. Oh, then we actually might be using a lot of bauxite or bauxite. But yeah, right there's probably some this computer that's in front of us right now. Maybe take it all back. My underwear might be lined with. Uh, no, that's silver. Isn't that the thing they do with like fancy underwear now? Yeah, was it what? naturally microbial? Some well, kind of silver uh, compound. Well, I, it, oh, I also have the anti RFID underwear because <laughs> I don't on. want anyone. <laughs> I yeah. I wear a Faraday <laughs> cage because I don't want my your balls. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anyone getting in my nuts with their radio waves. I don't want anyone cracking the signal. Seeing what I'm thinking. That's <laughs> uh, the risk. Bauxite mining is a major economic activity in the region and maybe reshaping the environment. So every species is precious and we need to protect them all since we can't predict where the next wonder drug will come from. All right, that took a turn. Mm. Modified snake toxins are already used in pharmaceutical products, including the blood pressure medication uh, Captopril, which generates 10 billion in sales every year. Jeebus. There There are now five recognized species of the Bandy Bandy genus, all in Australia. I love how we have to make it about our... Wait, how do they know it's deadly if they just found it? Like, who figured that Uh, out? Well, the late um, Professor Fry. Brian Fry. (laughs) Yeah. I do do remember hearing, though, in general, larger snakes usually aren't venomous, and the most venomous ones are usually on the smaller side. That makes sense. I I don't know why that that? is. I think I've heard that. Like, maybe that the most venomous snake is... uh, 
one of the smaller ones. Although the King Cobra is pretty big, isn't it? Uh, good point. Good point. King Cobra size. Snake size versus venom. It's now Google time. What do you found? Lisa, are you a fan of snakes? King Cobra's huge. They're fine. I'm not scared of them. Um, they King- are, they're, I'm neutral. You ever caught any in the wild as a little as a little tomboy? Yeah, I'm. I feel like I ha- I have to have. I have to have like picked up some garter snakes because like we lived on, we had our house and then we had a marina and we had like ten acres. So there was oh, and it was across cool. the street from a swamp. So there was just like all kinds of shit there Which, all the time. Where did you grow up? In Indiana, yeah. Northwest Indiana. No, oh, it's kind of I guess the same uh, general part of the country as me, like Southeast Michigan. Yeah, it's a, it's totally the same. Yeah. Wait, wait, did you ever pick up those little baby frogs when like? Yeah, I mean, like like toads, maybe like like um, maybe they were toads. Is a toad just a frog that's nowhere near water? Because I'm picturing tiny. Yeah, toads don't swim. I think is yeah. what it is. Yeah, but tiny, there was there would be like, I would like go through the the at the my parents' marina. There was um, you would just like walk through the grass, and there's like hundreds of tiny little baby toads or frogs, frogs, yeah, toads. I, I, I don't. I don't know what these know. were, but I, I, the ones I'm picturing were, were brown and, and dry. So does that make it a toad? I don't know. I think so. Where like slimy I don't know. and green. I'm, this, I don't this remember. Is very, very probably, <laughs> probably animals right now. All right. So there's the somebody is so mad about this conversation yeah, right I'm now. Sure. Oh, cobra, sure. Cobras are all pretty big compared to this snake. So the smallest cobra is the Mozambique spitting cobra, which is just over a meter long, which is around four feet. And king cobras, which are the longest of all venomous snakes can reach 18 feet that's five and a half meters feet. i'm sorry that's too many feet you're gonna have to cancel that. <laughs> that's a long snake right that's like three so large what's people it, what's it doing mm-hmm. with that whole fucking body i don't know just sitting around waiting to bite strangling a tree i guess if i guess a king cobra is not a true cobra because it also says the forest cobra is the largest true cobra reaching 10 feet this sounds like some real jerk wrote that yeah like it's like no true cobra i don't like this anti-king cobra bigotry uh speaking of anti-snake bigotry i think this whole like size being inversely proportional to venomosity is bunk it turns out oh. uh, at least on the first thing i found when googling it so um i don't know i maybe that's just one of those things everyone likes to say including me and now i won't say it anymore hmm. you know what if you tell me something once i'll just repeat it for the rest of my life right? until somebody yeah. stops me my Spanish teacher was the proof. king of wrong things like that. <laughs> like, you know why they're called Ivy League colleges? Because there are four of them, and the Roman numeral for four is IV. I'm like, nope, there aren't four of them. <laughs> and then he also said that the, the Chevy Nova didn't sell. Oh, the Nova, no because go. Because Spanish is no, Nova means no, doesn't go. And it's oh, like, no. with that logic, like, the people who speak English, can they tell when you write down the word notable that you're not saying no table? Yes, they can, because there's context and spaces mean something. And oh my well, no, God. But that's I where the word notable like comes from. Like, it's, it's a no table person. In the, it, you know, the regular people would sit <laughs> at tables, the tables, but tables. the no table person would stand at the end because, like, the Cause king Because he's, he's notable. Because he's giving a speech. <laughs> he's got no table. What about a podium? Yeah, a podium's fine. Okay, a podium's not a table. Yeah. That's the Latin word for podium is notatabla. <laughs> Table. <laughs> so, yeah, king cobra is very big. These animals smaller, but still, it doesn't say how venomous they are. I think any any amount of venomous is enough venomous for me. Yeah, that's plenty. 
I got so, bitten by a non-venomous snake once, and I, as a nerdy kid who liked snakes and caught them a lot, I knew I was like a hundred percent certain it wasn't venomous. And my dad still like ran into the kitchen with me, like over the kitchen sink, was sucking on the bite on my hand and spitting it in the sink. I'm like, Dad, it's a garter snake. Dad, it's a garter snake. I know snakes. I'm a ten year old. This is what I do. <laughs> I know what I'm. Yeah, catching. garter snakes are fine yeah i feel like if i, I would have gotten bitten by something po- actually poisonous my dad would have been like ah you're fine walk it yeah, off yeah. <laughs> my dad was so the inverse of that i guess I, yeah what i should be saying is thank you for being a vigilant dad like that's a pretty you know what makes you less vigilant driving in a, mm-hmm. in a bumpy car yeah oh really damn straight it does thanks Haley maurice for sending in this vibrations in cars make drivers sleepy New research has found the natural vibrations of cars make people sleepier, affecting concentration and alertness levels just 15 minutes after drivers get behind the wheel. With about 20% of fatal road crashes involving driver fatigue, RMIT University researchers hope their findings can be used by manufacturers to improve car seat designs to help keep drivers awake. Mm. All right. Mm. Someone who drives a lot mm. in our business, but both because we live in LA and just and then going on the road. Um, and also, I guess, you know, kids but kids fall asleep really quickly in cars. Yeah. I always thought it was just the motion and the white noise, but maybe this is actually an extra effect. Professor Stephen Robinson said the effects of physical vibration on drivers were not well understood, despite growing evidence that vibration can contributes to feelings of sleepiness. We know that one in five Australians, this is an Australian article, have fallen asleep at the wheel, and we know that drowsy driving is a significant issue for road safety, said Robinson. When you're tired, it doesn't take as much to start nodding off. And we found that the gentle vibrations made by car seats as you drive can lull your brain and body. Our study shows steady vibrations at low frequencies, the kind we experience when driving cars and trucks, progressively induce sleepiness, even among people who are well-rested and healthy. For 15 minutes, from 15 minutes of getting in the car, drowsiness has already begun to take hold. In half an hour, it's making significant impacts on your ability to stay concentrated and alert. Is that what it is, or is it just because you're fucking sitting still? The well, whole I, time? I figured it would be partly that, just that, just the sitting still. But here's what they did: they tested, they tested them on a virtual simulator that can be vibrated on di- different frequencies. So it's just, it literally looks like a very mm. basic version of a car driving game. They're sitting there, the most boring car driving game. Imagine. It looks, like, yeah, it looks like an incredibly dull arcade. But they've got a steering wheel and the image on the screen is just an animation of a straight road. When I'm like on the road, I'm driving for a long time. The one the thing that affects me the most is the temperature. Like if it's nice and warm in the car, I'm asleep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or if it's like cold. I've definitely had to uh, open windows in some freezing right? altitude conditions at night to get blasted. Through a long... Like wake yourself up. Yeah, I mean, I... it's the same like when you have a studio audience, you, they pump the air conditioning AC, i mean yeah. partly because of the lights obviously but it yeah, keeps people away a cold audience is an alert audience particularly tv yeah. tapings that can go on forever mm-hmm. and friend of the show emery emery his technique uh to stay awake for long road trips was to bring needle nose pliers and pluck out nose hairs i've <laughs> forgotten about what? that <laughs> what i've i've tried to do it just with fingernails when i've been super tired <laughs> it does it does wake you up because it hurts yeah what? I had completely forgot. Did he talk about that on this show? I forgot, but it's always stuck with me. When I get, when I get tired behind the wheel, I always think of Emery with Neil Nose Pliers. Because like, he was a road comic for years in America. That's yeah. such an old road comic thing to be doing to so travel with pliers. <laughs> but, uh, so you're right. torturing yourself to stay awake so you can 
make that just four hours and take a nap jesus four hour 2 a.m drive to the next gig to the next town mm. for, for shitty morning radio that won't get anybody out to the yes yeah, so you don't yeah, have no to pay kidding. for that extra motel room that's gonna cut <laughs> 30 dollars off of your fee for the gig Oh, I've done the thousand miles from here to Portland too many times in one shot. I, I should. Yeah, you do that Whoa, a lot. You used to do that, that for drive? Bridgetown every year. I kind of always try to break my record just to give me something to think about. Like, I mean, not that it's really. Th- I mean, I'm not speeding. I'm not crazy speeding. Just doing the normal I five speeding. Um, but I think my record was an hour. Yeah, thirteen ish, somewhere around thirteen. It's nine hundred sixty five okay. miles. I think I have averaged over 70 by only stopping twice for gas and pee. Maybe only for gas, actually, come to think of it with a Gatorade bottle. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, wow. so anyway, in this experiment, they set up the platform. This platform could be vibrated on two different frequencies, or on different frequencies, with the volunteers tested twice, once with vibrations at low frequencies in the 4 to 7 hertz range, and once with no vibration. The tiredness induced by vibration makes it psychologically and physiologically harder to perform mental tasks, so the body's nervous system activates to compensate, leading to changes in the heartbeat. By looking at the volunteer's heart rate variability, HRV, researchers were able to gain an objective measure of how drowsy they were feeling as a 60-minute test progressed. I didn't know that, so it wasn't like a self-reporting or looking at high Yeah, I didn't know there was a way to tell how tired someone is. Your heart rate changes a lot when you're drowsy, I guess. Um, So within 50 minutes of starting the vibrating test, volunteers were showing signs of drowsiness. Within 30 minutes, the drowsiness was significant, requiring substantial effort to maintain alertness and cognitive performance. And the drowsiness increased progressively over over the test, peaking at 60 minutes. So yeah, I guess the vibration itself does do something. Yeah, um, says they need to do more work studies across different demographics, see how age affects things and health problems like sleep apnea. Um, can I just say? So I had an old car that was like I used to have before. <laughs> My car I had this like Mustang convertible, and it was just oh, like, oh, look at Lisa. Yeah, it was just like it was junk and falling apart. At towards the end, I mean, I just drove the hell out of it, and so it would like kind of shake a little bit, but it was. <laughs> So the seats would like vibrate a little bit and it made me really horny. (laughs) They didn't test the horny. I would like get home and I'd be like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) I can't live. (laughs) I think that's a different frequency range from the four to seven. Well, it does say, and it doesn't get into specifics here, but it does say that our research also suggests that some vibrations at some frequencies may have the opposite effect and help keep people awake. Yeah. Because you're like, I have to fuck right now. Horny and awake. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> so we also so we also want to examine a wider range of frequencies to inform car designs that could potentially harness those good vibrations. Cars like changing the car seat design. Yeah, you don't want people like too stimulated <laughs> when they're driving. Yeah, because then they'll fall asleep again. Yeah. <laughs> the the multi-axial. So is it that they've developed this one-of-a-kind driving vibration simulator at RMIT? capable of precisely replicating the vibrations caused by driving on standard sealed roads. The multi-axial vibration simulator uses a servo-controlled hydraulic system with the road vibrations synchronized with the driving simulator, so a volunteer being tested experiences real-life driving conditions. And it can also measure the several psychological parameters of the driver in real time. And then says that uh, old Mustang convertibles can be particularly effective. (laughs) Generating the requisite amounts of horniness. Ah, just uh, it's quite I mean, that is a way to stay awake. I, I'm not going to discount it. 
being <laughs> horny or taking care <laughs> being of it? horny okay. horniness and awakeness no because then as soon as i take care right. of it then i'm that's, that's asleep entirely it's dangerous yeah like I, I remember someone like an older comic giving like giving i think he advice. even had that i think he was even did it as a bit like i can't remember who it was now he used to have a bit about like how to stay awake driving late at night it was like and his bit was basically just like start jerking off you'll be awake you just gotta make sure you don't go all the way you gotta hold <laughs> off because if you come at sleep time again not at all hacky uh this does track with my experience though like i was on a really bumpy road once in peru and i was like getting jostled super i was in the passenger seat but like maybe the most violent bumpy road i've ever been on and i kept nodding off and i was like how am i simultaneously getting whipped around and falling asleep but it must have been like right in that maybe just traveling four to seven no it was like it was the motion it was super jerky but it was still like maybe it depends on uh what what your uh experience was like before you were born like if your mom was jumping all over the fucking place yeah i don't know you're like, oh, this is soothing. I was definitely like the kid they would drive around or put in it. Did your parents shake you when you were a baby? <laughs> yes, all the time. Like, they would we... vibrate him, okay? It's called vibrating. They would baby vibrate. On vacation, they would take me out when I was a baby uh, in this like, outboard motorboat, which is like really oh, yeah. violent, shaky, mm-hmm. and I'd be out like instantly. I said, if I couldn't sleep, if I wasn't sleeping, they would take me out for a lap and that. And then it, would they be, be in the boat with you, or no, would they just set it? Just, <laughs> it? I was Wait, a precocious toddler. You grew up on a lake, also. No, but in like or, summers, if we were like, uh, we would go to this uh, place up in Canada, and there's a fishing boat that was yeah, just one of those like you know aluminum. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, bauxite uh, outboard <laughs> motor, super minimalist fishing boats. What do you call those things? Just like the simple ass one sheet of metal boats. Just a boat. Boat. Just a boat. I don't know. Is that a skiff? What's a skiff? No. A skiff is a like it's more a sailboat, boat, right? I don't know what makes a skiff a skiff. I think a skiff is a what's type a, of sailboat. What's a schooner? A skiff is a that. shallow, flat-bottomed open boat with a sharp bow oh, and I'm a square off. skirt. Okay. No, not a flat bottom. I'm talking about like a regular hull or whatever you call the the opposite of flat. Flat bottom boats, you make the Canadian vacation world go round. Do you want to know what the Urban Dictionary definition of skiff is? Oh, uh-huh. um, does it involve uh, um, um, is it anything def- defecation like or punches? Or do- it doesn't involve okay. either defecation or punches. Skiff. I, I'm going to say you're not going to get this. I don't think I would have got this either. Can I get the first half of it and then I'll finish it? Okay. Give me the first half. Give me the, the first part of it. And then I'll. Is it like a uh, sentence? Is it like a long description of it? No, I think like even if I started, you sort of. Oh, okay. Yeah, you could guess the body part it involves. Skiff. And a skiff of a boat is something that has a. I flat. don't think this has anything connected to the skiff, skiff. of a boat. I mean, it's. Yeah, I think it Urban seems, Dictionary it seems totally phallic different. as a word. I don't know. All right, yep, you okay. got the right bit of uh, anatomy. Okay. According to Urban Dictionary. To skiff is to wipe one's penis around the edge of a cup, usually containing tea, before giving it to someone you don't like. It's I feel this is that's really specific. It's a that's, term used largely. Three dudes doing that. Yeah, right. Urban dictionary. Well, that's like any other one. Like you're the fucking donkey punch or whatever. No one is no doing. But yeah. it's a term, according to this, largely used in the British Army when new recruits or private soldiers are forced to brew up for lance corporals, corporal sergeants, etc. Skiffing the tea makes the tea brewer feel better about having to make the twat some tea in the first place, says whoever de- put this definition. And then gives some examples of it used in a sentence. I hope you've not skiffed that tea, Jones. Jones, make four brews, unskiffed. Did you skiff the corporal's tea? And don't drink that, I just skiffed it. 
I didn't understand it until you used it in a sentence four ways. So thank you for that. No, <laughs> there we go. Now you understand it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, what do you do with what part and where? Okay. And then it also. Oh, hang on. There's another. There's another <laughs> definition of skip. Well, definition number two is another word for a yacht. Why would that even be urban? I don't what's know. The, what, what's what's slang? Yeah, I don't about know how many that? people have urban yachts. I think an urban yacht is a different thing. That's when you shit on... <laughs> right, an urban yacht. We all know what an urban yacht is, sure. Yeah. Uh, the skiff also says, running your index finger along your ass crack and wiping the residue on the top lip of your intended victim, resulting in 10 to 20 minutes of shitty, sweaty o- odor. Uh, E.g., oh my god, you fucker, you skiffed me, that fucking stinks. <laughs> Who's doing this? This I don't, sounds it's- like... Who is the this sub is really crazy. that spends their time? Right. And is there... Uh, and then, I forgot. Because there's lots get- of definitions of skiff. Uh, a very light covering, e.g. a skiff of snow fell overnight. That's not, not urban, urban at all. Is this rural dictionary? To, <laughs> to avoid or ignore a which, person. Which dictionary is this? Or the act of... <laughs> uh, are you still on urban or are you on regular This is still urban. Oh, okay. Still urban dictionary. Or to ignore per- someone or to purposely exclude someone from a conversation, usually while they're standing right there. Uh, don't skiff me. Yeah, as in, please don't skiff me. I think basically in any of these definitions, you could use please don't skiff me as, a, as an example in a sentence of, <laughs> of the term. Uh, and <laughs> All right, the last two definitions. Uh, to appear in favor of an activity until the opportunity to participate in the activity is present. Uh, as in, yeah, that, you skiff so out on me every time. something and then not do it. Yep. So just flake. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Basically. And then the last meaning that's given here is a girl who gives BJs to teachers for good grades. It's a skiff. Ah, I have a D in math. What are you going to do? I'm going to give Mr. Perkins a BJ. You're such a skiff. Oh, it's not, the, it's not a verb. It's a noun. No, it's okay. the person is a skiff. The activity I, is not skiffing. I think skiff is the smurf of Urban Dictionary. <laughs> There's nothing it can't mean. Well, in that case, it was a skiffette. Right, yeah. <laughs> Papa skiff. You gotta be skiffing me. There we go. All right, let's Those skip, are all the meanings of the word skiff. Let's skiff another skiff. Unless you have others. If you have any other meanings of the word skiff, then go to then email us probablyscience at gmail.com and remember to mark your envelope skiff. We did, uh, if you visit probablyscience.com, you can also see a donate button and you can send your hard-earned skiffs to us and we yeah skiffing some skiff for us so we can skiff some good skiff I've, I have my eye on some skiff but I can't skiff it because I don't have enough skiff but thanks to the skiff from some of these skiffs we are skiffing and skiff right do you, now do you want to read out the skiffers I will read out the skiffers skiffer number one Trevor L. Hubbard uh, Lindsay Bacon Jonathan Waltz Oliver Forrest John Clarici Mark Williams William Bagley Robert Condon all of those people set up monthly donations which we appreciate and then a one-off from Emily Cooper, who was congratulating us for 300 episodes. Thanks. Thank you, all of you bunch of skiffers. Yeah, you guys can skiff right the skiff skiff. <laughs> <laughs> and you skiff know what I'm skiffing about. All right, let's do another story. Yes. What do you got, Annie? Which one do you want to do? Uh, I was going to do uh, just listener email. Oh, yeah. This is a short one. We were talking with Guy Branham last week about how there used to be a time when if you're parents died before you were born i guess if your father died before you were born you would just go through life with the name posthumous as a first name which i had never heard what i thought he was making it up i mean i didn't really because he's smart but uh, i'd never heard of that uh but listener kieran harrison wrote in to say he wanted to confirm that there was a guy named colonel posthumous Curtin who fought as a royalist in the english civil war 
1642 to 1644. Um, that seems so cruel and that, unnecessary. And also, <laughs> bastards would sometimes be named Libertard, right? Which is just French for the bastard. That'd be their first name. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Um, yeah, this posthumous curtain dude doesn't have his own Wikipedia page, but he's listed on uh, in the Marquis of Newcastle's Regiment of Foot. Well, all right. well, you know what we should do is we did promise last week that we were going to talk a bit about the prison experiment. Oh yeah. So yeah, have you taken any any basic psychology classes in your yeah. schooling days? Do you remember the prison experiment, the Stanford prison experiment? I Zimbardo. don't. It sounds it sounds familiar, but I you're you're gonna have to refresh me on what it was. Sure, sure. It, it's one of those things along with uh, the Milgram experiment and um, the Bobo doll. It's one of those basic like. Holy shit! This is crazy. We gotta tell our oh, psych one one class this because it's where make people were. Some people were the guards and some people yes, were the prisoners, and exactly they switched. That. Okay, got it. I yeah. That. So it always seemed like bullshit to me because it always sounded like they're asking these people to do something and then they did it. Like that's not that crazy. That's just like they were doing what they were told, right? Because the, the crazy thing was supposed to be like how how the guards actually acted like guards. Like, well, yeah, didn't you tell? Well, them didn't to act they like, like kind of like, go? They just. They were a little bit amped up on their own power, though. And they, wasn't there like a component of it where uh, they were being asked to do something that was morally bad? That's more like the Milgram thing. Well, actually, I was thinking it'd be the, New is York the Milgram Times article, thing, the thing from the sixties or whatever with the show. Yeah, this is yeah. also from the sixties or seventies. Did you maybe. see that that movie about that? I can't remember what the fuck the movie was called. It's probably called The Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Urban Dictionary says a Milgram is when you... Uh, um, okay, we'll, we'll get to the New York Times article, which is about sort of the replication crisis in in psychology in general. But um, Simon Martindale sent us a few pages of John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Have you guys heard of that book? Mm-mm, no. I've, I've been meaning to read it, especially in... <laughs> it's never been more timely than right now. Um, but they talked directly to some of the people who were involved in the experiment, some of the students, and it's pretty crazy. So one of the alums of the experiment um, was named John Mark, and uh, yeah, in 1971, he was one of Zimbardo's guards, and it hasn't been easy to track down participants because I guess Zimbardo didn't release all their names, but John Mark has published letters about his memories of the experiment in the Stanford Alumni Magazine, and uh, so John Ronson in this book reached out to him and asked him, what, what happens when you tell people you were a guard in this experiment? He says, everyone assumes I was brutal. I hear it all the time. You turn on the TV and they'll be talking about anything to do with brutality and they'll drop in, as was shown in the Stanford Prison Experiment. They were studying it in my daughter's high school. It really upsets me uh, because it's not true. My days as a guard were pretty boring. I just sat around. I was on the day shift. I woke the prisoners up, brought them their meals. The vast majority of the time was just hanging out. If Zimbardo's conclusion was the true conclusion, wouldn't it have applied to all the guards? Then he said that if I looked closely at Zimbardo's clips, um, and he wished Zimbardo would release the full footage one day, he'd see that the only guard who really seemed to lose his mind was David Eshelman. Um, and he's right. When you picture the evil guards in the in the basement, what you're really picturing is this one guy, Dave Eshelman. He was the man who yelled, fuck the floor, and you're Frankenstein, and so on. Social scientists have written papers. I didn't even know that. I didn't, I didn't know the either. stuff he shouted. Yeah. You're a Frankenstein? I don't know. He said you're a Frankenstein. He knew that that was the name of the scientist, not the monster. Right. Uh, you are a... <laughs> you're a Frankenstein. You're a Dracula. Uh, social scientists have written papers analyzing Eshelman's every move in there, including the strange detail that the more brutally he behaved, the more... American South, his accent sounded. Um, 
Really? So they tracked down David Ushelman and uh, John Ronson, the author of this book, asked him about this. He said, I think I did a pretty damn good acting job. And he said, this was not a simple case of taking an otherwise normal, well-balanced, rational human being, putting him in a bad situation and suddenly turns bad. He said, I faked it. He explained the first night was boring. Everyone was just sitting around. So he said, I thought someone is spending a lot of money to put this thing on and they're not getting any results. So I thought I'd get some action going. He'd just seen the Paul Newman prison movie, Cool Hand Luke, (laughs) in which a sadistic Southern prison warden played by Strother Martin persecutes the inmates. So Dave decided to channel him. His sudden Southern accent wasn't some uncontrollable physical transformation like when Natalie Portman sprouts feathers in Black Swan. He was consciously channeling Strother Martin. And he asked, so you faked it to give Zimbardo a better study? He said, it was completely deliberate on my part. I planned it. I mapped it out. I carried it through. And that's the one person everyone points to. As the- so he's just, he basically just trolled the experiment out of boredom. Well, and it's, it's been even- cited in scientific yeah. exper- in scientific classes. This is what happens, for- people, when you tell them to be a certain role, they'll suddenly become monsters. Like, no, if you're a psychology professor and people think they're supposed to do something, they'll just try to give you what you want. Although, isn't that, that sort of is a result in itself. That is interesting in its own right, the fact that if you put people in a weird situation where they feel like they need to do something, they will still do something fucking weird and crazy. And- right, so it, like, it proves the point the- in a way, because it's like they didn't do what they what the scientists thought they were going to do, but they still behaved weirdly because they thought... One dude. One dude. Of all these guards. Of how many total... How many were there? um, One dude. Of two. (laughs) Let's see how many total... Of three. I mean, yeah, no matter what, I'm sure they knew it was a small sample size, but like a sample size of one is meaningless. Mm -hmm. Let's see. The prison experiment was... Um, I'm sorry. And and these are like highly educated and trained psychologists, but they couldn't tell when someone was fucking acting. Maybe they hadn't seen Cool Hand Luke. Give me a break. I mean, yeah. Zimbardo is kind of a, a showboaty. I mean, he looks like a fucking magician or like an evil uh, villain from... Like, this is what the dude looks like. You can tell me that guy isn't a showman who knows what... <laughs> He's Let's got see. that fucking ridiculous... Who's that magician yeah. with that same goatee? Oh, oh I don't he just know. looks like his own evil twin, you know? Like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think he was like, "Oh, this is a saucy thing," and he never actually officially put it out as a study. It was more because at this point we can go to the New York Times article, which is about psychology itself being under scrutiny. Um, so yeah, uh, there's there's this fact that the Stanford Prison Experiment wasn't really that um, meaningful. There's the marshmallow test which is that thing where they had kids see if they could delay gratification by uh, saying you get one marshmallow now or if you can wait and not eat it in like 10 minutes we'll give you two and then supposedly those that could delay that were more well adjusted later on in life because they could delay gratification oh I would have eaten that marshmallow once (laughs) I would have eaten it before they explained the rules (laughs) so yeah since 2011 the psychology field has been giving itself an intensive background check, redoing more than 100 well-known studies. Often the original re- results can't be reproduced and the entire contentious process has been colored inevitably by generational change and charges of patriarchy. This is a phase of cleaning house and we're finding that many things aren't as robust as we thought, said Brian Nosek, a professor of psychology at University of Virginia who has led the replication drive. This is a reformation mo- moment to, s- to say let's self-correct and build on knowledge that we know is solid. Still, the study of human behavior will never be as clean as physics or cardiology. How could it be? And psychology's elaborate simulations are just that. At the same time, its findings are far more accessible and personally relevant to the public than most in other scientific fields. Um, Psychology has millions of amateur theorists who test 
the findings against their own experience, the public's judgments matter to the field too. It's one thing to frisk the studies appearing almost daily in journals that form the current back and forth of behavior research. It's somewhat different to call out experiments that become classics and world famous outside of psychology because they dramatized, dramatized, I'm not Canadian, dramatized <laughs> something people recognized in themselves and in others. They live in the common culture as powerful metaphors, explanations for aspects of our behavior that we sense are true and that are captured somehow in a laboratory mini-drama constructed by an inventive researcher or research team. And as we said, the Stanford Prison Experiment is a case in point. Um, so yeah, in the summer of 71, Philip Zimbardo, a mid-career psychologist, recruited 24 college students through newspaper ads and randomly cast half of them as prisoners and half as guards. So I guess oh, one in 12. so small. Yeah. Uh, he set them up in a mock prison, complete with cells and uniforms. He had the simulation filmed. After six days, he called the experiment off, reporting that the, quote, guards began to assume their roles too well. They became abusive, some of them shockingly so, and shockingly Southern. Um, <laughs> Dr. Zimbardo published dis- dispatches about the experiment in a couple of obscure journals. He provided a more complete report in an article he wrote in the New York Times describing how cruel instincts could emerge spontaneously in ordinary people as a result of situational pressures and expectations. Uh, that article and Quiet Rage, a documentary about the experiment, helped make Zimbardo a star in the field and media favorite, most recently in the wake of the Abu Ghraib prison scandal in the early 2000s. Um, perhaps the central challenge to the study's claims is that its author coached the guards to be hard cases, as we said, or even if they didn't coach, you know, there's the implication, like, oh, we got to give them something, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so, it's, it's not as fair an experiment. Right, right. Uh, you got to do it for real. I think that's the secret. Like, if you're going to do it, you, people have to believe that they've been kidnapped and put on a real desert island and said, then we'll see how they Yeah, behave. that would be the... How can that be, like, a true experiment if if everyone involved knows it's an experiment? Doesn't that ruin the experiment? Well, not all... I mean, ideally, you want to have an experiment... Like, if you know you're that, taking a placebo... Right. Well, that, but you, either way, you know you're involved in an experiment. You just don't know whether you have, whether you're in the control group or the experimental group. But like, ideally, I think if you could in every experiment, you would. Even if people are aware that they're in an experiment, you, they wouldn't know what what is being tested. It would be ideal, but sometimes that's sure. But like, to, you know, you haven't been arrested and actually put in prison. I know that's so what that's I always tough. thought was crazy. So, um, is this coaching? Uh, quote, not an overt invitation to be abusive in all sorts of psychological ways, wrote Peter Gray, a psychologist at Boston College, who decided to exclude any mention of the simulation from his popular introductory textbook. Oh, that's... Uh, and when the guards did behave in these ways and escalated that behavior, with Zimbardo watching and apparently by his silence approving, would that not have confirmed in the subject's minds that they were behaving as they should? Recent challenges have echoed Dr. Gray's, and earlier this month, Dr. Zimbardo was moved to post a response online. He said, my instructions to the guards, as documented by recordings of guard orientation, were that they could not hit the prisoners, but could create feelings of boredom, frustration, fear, and a sense of powerlessness. That is, we have total power of the situation and they have none, he wrote. We did not give any formal or detailed instructions about how to be an effective guard. So, well, no, you didn't have to. Like, these guys just remembered prison movies like Cool Hand Luke and just... <laughs> it's, uh... So, yeah, in an interview, Zimbardo said the simulation was a demonstration of what could happen to some people influenced by powerful social roles and outside pressures and that his critics had missed this point it's like well but who cares like yeah I could that's just so common sense like things could go wrong people can act differently but like you didn't prove the situation creates it on its own or that people change especially if this one guy the only one well and it's like also if you're 
who's to say people are acting weird because they're in an, a position of authority versus they're in specifically a prison, which is just like so dreary and there's no, you don't have lights and the temperature probably sucks. And it's not, right. it's, it's much different than somebody like babysitting someone and having authority over them in that way. But you're like in a nice, comfortable home and you're watching a fun show. Like it's a different, yeah. And like you still have authority, but it's, if you're going to extrapolate something from these tiny results, you could just as easily have said, when faced with extreme boredom, people will impersonate Strutter Martin. Like, that's, like, if you, if you yeah. put people in a room for three days, they'll start being weird. Yeah, it's like ha, ha, the show Big Brother exists. Those people are bored out of their fucking skulls, aren't they? And oh, they start yeah. acting weird. I haven't watched it since the I've, first season. I've never but. seen it, not once, but I'm like, I I feel like if I was trapped in a house with a bunch of other people, I would lose my fucking oh, yeah. mind. Within days. And it's interesting Hours. in that show how how quickly they forget that they're being filmed. That is crazy. Because yeah. they obviously they always know they're being filmed, but it's remarkable how quickly... Yeah, they acclimate they, to it. Yeah, they stop being conscious or letting letting the cameras really affect their behavior i'm sure it is Stop i'm sure it's always affecting it but they're going like real. why would you say that when you know this is being broadcast to the nation yeah right like i've always wanted survivor and i just started watching naked and afraid like just in the last week and i'm like that's gotta be crazy seeing these cameramen clothed and eating this whole time that you're have you guys seen naked yeah, and no, afraid? i've never seen it you know the premise so you I've just drop them on an island they drop people off just somewhere completely remote with literally nothing. They're and they, you read about that show? And they're survival experts as well. They're always people who have some level right, of survival right. expertise. Did you read about that show where there was it was the same concept, but they dropped all these people off on the island and then they pulled funding for the show and they fucking didn't tell the people? And these oh, people were just shit. like on an island for like a year or something. For that like some crazy wait, wait, amount of time. Thing. It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. It was, But it was a ridiculous thing where the funding got pulled or the show got canceled or whatever and everybody was already there and they didn't tell them right away i don't know what the window of time was i like to think it was a year because that to me is the most hilarious thing a year like that you just like lose (laughs) which also like it's just such a funny lesson also and how how badly people want fame that like well you're on the fucking island anyway what's the difference whether it brings you a tv credit or not yeah um, Such a dumb way to live. Hey, you know one way you can live hmm. as a pre-agriculture, prehistoric group of people. You could still make bread. Oh, I like foraging. Bread. It's a story Justin Broad sent in. The earliest now um, world's oldest bread found at a prehistoric site in Jordan. Charred remains of a flatbread baked in about baked around fourteen thousand five hundred years ago. Damn in a stone fireplace in a site in northeastern Jordan have given researchers a delectable surprise, says Reuters. Flatbread? So was it Passover? It pretty much was a kind of flatbread, yeah. (laughs) People began making bread, a vital staple food, millennia before they developed agriculture. No matter how... God, Reuters... I thought Reuters is a news agency. I thought they don't add editorializing, but they've gone with... They've gone pun heavy on this one. No matter how you slice it... Oh, God. Oh, boy. The (laughs) discovery detailed on Monday shows that the hunter-gatherers in the eastern Mediterranean achieved the cultural milestone... At least they went milestone rather than millstone. Oh, of fuck. bread, bread making <laughs> far. It's, it's it's contagious. Yeah, far earlier than previously known, more than four thousand years before plant cultivation took root. That's sort of a pun right. on the previous mm. word. That sort. I don't know if that's that. 
a flatbread, likely unleavened and somewhat resembling pita bread, was... Wait, 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 wait back up. <laughs> That's how you guys say it? As opposed to pita bread? How have I never heard a British person say that word? I never do. Uh, Is that a universal... I think I think that's a that's an either or though. That's a sc- oh, okay. scone pita? scone deal. I've never heard pita. You say scone? Sco- S- scone or what? what? Or scone? Scone. It's oh. a big debate. You know, it was a weird so thing like for me scallops. to hear when I was over there was pitophile or pedophile instead of instead of pedophile. How often were you hearing that? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I was doing stand up, so <laughs> I heard a lot of I heard I heard a lot of people they say put, pedophile. They put that ae combination thing that I should know what it's called in that word. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I know yeah, what you're talking about. There's, uh-huh. there's two letters, but what's that? What's that thing called? I, you look that up while yeah, I continue sure. the story. It's, it's called. I... So it was fashioned from wild cereals such as barley, einkorn, or oats, as well as tubers from an aquatic papyrus relative that had been ground into flour. It was made by a culture called the called the Nat, Natufians, who had begun to embrace a, sedent, a sedentary rather than nomadic lifestyle, and was found at a black <laughs> desert archaeological site. Oh, so the people that didn't fucking move their asses yeah. invented this bread. Ah, well, we're that just going to sit out. here and we'll just make some bread. <laughs> we're just, just we just order pizza. Invent carbs. <laughs> this is basically... They, they created, like, the TV pizza dinner is what they created. The, the just, Those nomads so nothing has, In thousands of years, nothing has changed. Yeah. Nomad. You go and nomad over there. You go wander the plains and we'll just sit yeah. here and eat bread. <laughs> The presence of bread at a site of this age is exceptional, <laughs> says Amia Arantz Ortega, a, a University of Copenhagen postdoc researcher in archaeobotany okay. and lead author of the research published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. I never heard of archaeobotany, but of course that makes sense as a discipline. Arantz Ortega, I've mispronounced, I've said her name twice now differently, said until now the origins of bread had been associated with early farming societies that cultivated cereals and legumes. The previous oldest evidence of bread came from a 9,100-year-old site in Turkey. So this is like... 5,000-year jump? Yeah, that's a substantial leap. By the way, if any listeners have older bread, please do email us. We want to talk about it. Send it to us. If you you find any... Send us a bread recipe for that thousands of years old bread yeah look at look in your old bread bins if, if it's an old david bowie recording don't want to know like <laughs> if it's just old bread just old bread again recordings from the band bread the three days, <laughs> yes, all we want is like eight tracks of uh insert a single from yep. i can't name a bread song or the you? sitcom bread what was there that was an english sitcom no. called bread oh boy uh, it's the skiff of, of, of words. The only bread I want you to send me is money. Automobiles. Yeah, also to bread someone is, you know. <laughs> sure. Oh, I've breaded some people all over the years. Yeah. When you place uh, some loose meat in between that. Anyway, so <laughs> we, n- we now have to assess whether there was a relationship between bread production and the origins of agriculture. Uh it is possible that bread may have provided an incentive for people to take up product cultivation and farming if it became a desirable or much sought-after food. University of Copenhagen archaeologist and study co-author Tobias Richter pointed to the nutritional implications of adding bread to the diet. Bread provides us with an important source of carbohydrates and nutrients, including B vitamins, iron, and magnesium, as well as fiber. Abundant evidence from the site inc- indicated that the Natufians had a meat and plant-based diet. The round-floor fireplaces, made from f- flat basalt so- stones, 
and measuring about a yard, just under a meter in diameter, were located in the middle of the huts. Um, Arantz Otogui said, the researchers have begun the process of trying to reproduce the bread and have succeeded in making flour from the type of tubers used in the prehistoric recipe, but it might have been an acquired taste. So the taste of the tubers, she said, is quite gritty and salty, but it's a bit sweet as, as well. You know what else is a bit sweet as well? What is? <laughs> Bread. Yeah, guitar man. And just to be clear, that was uncovered by archaeologists yes. in Jordan. <laughs> the single guitar man by Bread was found in uh, on a wax cylinder. And also, the AE thing is called an Aish or Esh. I don't know how to pronounce it because the Wikipedia article for it says that it is called an, and then in its in the word for this symbol, the symbol is included in that word. It's A E S A E S C. The A E is one thing. So Aish Ash. Sure. Yeah. Self-referential symbols aside. Hey, Lisa, what's the oldest bread you've eaten? The oldest bread I've eaten? I don't know. A crouton? <laughs> that is old bread. I forgot. I used to be a food. Uh, I used to be in food, work in food prep, and um, most of my summer I spent doing that was spent slicing up old dinner rolls. Into I fucking croutons. hate croutons. I don't want them anywhere near my salad. Get them. Away. It's just it's old bread. bread. You're it's supposed just... to throw it in the trash. Yeah. Is what you're supposed to do. Not repurpose it into my fucking salad. Get it out of here. I didn't know that until I had that job. I was like, "This I've been lied to about croutons yeah. this whole time." You thought people were like baking them individually in tiny know, little, I, I tiny of, little cubic baking tins? Well, maybe I just thought it was like, <laughs> maybe I thought it was just like cut from um, slices of toasted bread. Like I thought maybe they just toasted a bunch of. I don't know what I yeah. thought. No, they take not, stale ass bullshit. bullshit. Get out of here. I think I only knew that when I went to. I think I made croutons. My friend Alex, whose mum was a really good Italian cook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was Italian and a really good cook, oh, okay. I should have said. But she probably could cook Italian? Yeah. But she mostly made Italian food when we were in there. Italian. And it was all, yeah. She made croutons. We made croutons with her. You did? Yeah. She just found some old dinner rolls in the back yeah, of the Yeah, it was cupboard. croutons or also uh, um, uh, breadcrumbs as well. Like any stale bread would either be turned into croutons or breadcrumbs for different things. Okay. Repurposing. Yeah, I guess as long as you don't see mold, it's fine. Well, or if proper, you do, you just cut it off. You yeah. just trim it. Well, also, real bread goes stale rather than moldy, generally. Like, oh, I don't, really? like I real think, bread. Yeah. Like, that's what, like if you I have like proper bread that isn't pumped full of preservatives, like it that's the thing that mold. I found crazy about American bread is it just never goes stale. Like, it sort of well, it doesn't go stale so? in the same way. It goes moldy first. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, bread... I think it's stale I, if it sits out in the air and it goes moldy if you're like... If it just has been sitting for too long i always keep my bread like, in the fridge it, because it doesn't but it does creep me out how long american yeah. food lasts compared to Brit. like um like pasta sauces i used to like any jar of pasta sauce like if you buy instant tomato based pasta sauce yeah in britain once it's been open for about a week it's got mold on the inside and you have to throw it out like you have to use it within a week oh yeah i don't think pasta had, sauce the lasts in the fridge okay. and I, the american stuff i've left in the fridge before for like a month and a half and it's still you look in there and like, ah, it still looks fine yeah it seems like a reasonable length of time for me is a month and a half yeah it's <laughs> like it's there's something going on in there that is not i don't know what is i don't know what you guys put in your sauces it's that good uh love a secret ingredient <laughs> secret <laughs> ingredient <laughs> love <laughs> And uh, well, that cultural stop- hegemony and 
<laughs> colonialism. I don't hey, know. Lisa, when you're not hating on croutons, uh, where can our listeners find you? Oh, um, well, you know, my Instagram is Olympian, Olympian Lisa, Lisa Curry. Curry. Oh, you're the Olympian Lisa Curry on Instagram. <laughs> Do you know what? I follow her on Instagram and I try to be the first person of Faye first shit and she doesn't <laughs> She notice. never notices. She doesn't notice. Um, I'm on Twitter, Lisa underscore Curry. Or if you like, want, I don't know, my website's lisacurry.net. Well, go and find Lisa when she's doing. Do you want to look at my stuff. She's there. doing the gigs near you. Yep. Yeah, doing I should her- be back there next summer. I will be back there next summer for sure, for sure, because I'm doing that festival again. But um, oh, you gonna be back, back in the UK next summer? Yeah, I'm gonna do the the Mac Fest in Wales again. Next nice. May. What is that? What's that festival I headlined at? You know. Oh, no nice. Big, What's why is it no called big, the Mac Fest? Because uh, it's in Macathleth, <laughs> Wales. <laughs> So for short, it's just Mac Fest. Okay, but it's it's a really dope festival. I love it. A the Welsh lot. audiences, good audiences. Yeah, they were great. My show sold out. It was awesome. Nice. It was really killer. Um, I'm sure we have some Welsh people. We definitely do. Right. Yeah, and also that's a festival. It's only been around for a few years. I'm going to say, uh, but it's a gets a really good lineup and it's popular so i think people travel there from not there yeah and it's great here's a brilliant thing about that festival sorry is this too much no, no, uh, Keep going. no one that runs the festival lives in that town it's a really small town oh, weird and they have the festival there so so when they have it that's the biggest thing going on in that town oh, cool. all year so the whole town is like i, I mean i maybe maybe spent 20 pounds all weekend because people just like comp you and they're just like so excited that you're a performer and it's not like like where maybe three weeks before then I was in uh, Phoenix for a festival and I picked up a couple guest spots at a club in town and I was doing guest spot at the town er, at, at the club and I said, the booker was like, oh, what are you in town for? And I was like, oh, the such and such festival. And he was like, oh, there's a comedy festival here? <laughs> no one in Phoenix, and Phoenix isn't that big, but nobody Phoenix knew there was a big. comedy festival. It's, it's pretty big, but it's not And that was New even York. someone who worked at the comedy club at in that city. Didn't know club. that there was a comedy festival didn't happening in the same town. there was a comedy festival, which I feel like is a problem. Where you, <laughs> <laughs> But like, where you go to a, I don't know, I just thought that was like such a good idea. I was like, oh, shit, why aren't we doing our festivals in small towns? Towns where like people are so fucking stoked that there's a festival. Like well, the, the be- whole town is the most fun festival in Ireland is in a town called Kilkenny, which is about oh yeah. And I'm gonna get the amount wrong, but I, it's around like an hour and a half drive south from Dublin. Sure. And again, it's this. It's been around for years now. This festival and it gets huge names, yeah. but it just dominates this this town. It's this beautiful town. It's got like a castle on the river. It's gorgeous. But for the week or so that the festival's are, a bit less uh-huh. than a week, it's like a long weekend. It just, you can't move for the comedy festival. Every like venue is taken up oh, with it. So and great. it's just, you bump like, into like comics every, you can't walk down the street without bumping into 10 people you know. Right. I was going to compare Bridgetown to that, but I'm not saying Bridgetown was that big, but like when it started, Portland wasn't a huge comedy town. And, sure. it's, you know, it's well, not Brid- a small town, but it's a lot smaller no, than No, that was LA. always the best thing about Bridgetown was just the, the atmosphere there. And it's partly because, you know, you, you and the various people that have been on this show run it, but the town, it felt like the city of Portland sort of took ownership of it. Right. People were glad it was there and glad so, to have the So comics. people would, volu- look, there were so many volunteers and because of that, they kind of felt like it was as much theirs as it was something that was imposed on them. Like they really felt like they co-owned it. Oh, and, that's nice. Yeah. And like and, when, when an LA festival started in the wake of that, I heard a 
a comic I won't name be like, that's like having a Superman festival on Krypton. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. It re- <laughs> well, people, there's a, well, there's, there's a few LA festivals now, right? Or LA yeah, based. But I mean, and like, can I'm you like, imagine someone knowing that the Burbank Comedy Festival was currently happening, like a bartender somewhere being like, oh, are you in town for the flappers? Like, yeah, it's, 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 de- it's definitely so different when you're in the city where all the comics live anyway and you can just see most yeah, of the... Also, so I'd like, bless your heart if you're paying $45 to perform in your own city. What are you doing? Don't have, have oh, some was, self-respect. I heard it was like 75 or 100 for, <laughs> No, no. To to, uh, Burn it down. Just show up with an amp and a mic outside <laughs> and do a set outside of the club. Why the fuck... We're never Sorry, I'm the again. asshole of the group here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, go and see, go and see Lisa when she comes back to Wales. Mm-hmm. And probably you're going to do some other gigs around. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to stay over there for a few months next time. Awesome, and also you gigging all the time in LA and other cities yeah. around the US. Uh, go and come and see us, and you can find us at Probably Science uh, on Twitter. You can find us Facebook slash Probably Science. You can email us probablyscienceatgmail.com you can find us individually on Twitter you can follow us uh, at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen you, you can uh, donate probablyscience.com that's also you can find the come links. directly here to where they record it's the addresses the <laughs> is the park behind the blue Mazda and let yourself in um, and uh, yeah do that keep sending us in stories thank you so much for everyone who contributed thank you for everyone who donated thanks yeah. to everyone who spreads the word by telling people to listen to our show who writes nice things about us on iTunes and gives us five star ratings and all that kind of good stuff and Facebooks and tweets and generally lets people know we exist uh, thank you Lisa for joining us thanks for having yeah. me see you next week guys okay, bye, bye. bye.